following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. <laughs> they must be destroyed on sight! Welcome to They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 167. I'm your host, Lee, making enough money to keep body and soul together, Russell, joined by my co-host, Daniel. I think you've pushed the erotic angle about as far as you can, Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, and you can never push the erotic angle too far, as far as I'm concerned. Not even if you're, uh, <laughs> not even if you're a, a a guy who's dressed like a 1930s businessman for some reason in this 1980s movie. Especially that, especially that, you know. All right, uh, and we're joined by uh, our special guest who's been on here before, Greg. Blocked the exit and set fire to the whole damn place, Balaski. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'd certainly like to take the erotic angle and block the exit. <laughs> Yes, indeed. There are lots of ways to take that. I'm gonna take yeah. that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take that take in a it. consensual way. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh yes, it's all consensual-ish. Yeah, everybody We're take all... it. That's right. Uh, I am doing well. It was. I kind of wish I was a little more drunk, but I had to drive around this evening, so uh, I'm having a nice Perrier. So oh. maybe I'll be coherent today. <laughs> well, we don't want that on this podcast. What the fuck are you doing? Well, I got to professionalize it for your podcast, for your uh, Patreons. Yeah, for all the Patreon subscribers. Yeah. You're getting professional, Greg. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to be looking at Stage Fright from 1987, but before we do that, uh, we do have a couple comments to get here, too. So just two comments from the Facebook group this time. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Join that group, and you can leave comments, and we'll read them. That's the way it works. Basically, Even if they t- suck, or especially if they suck. We'll totally especially, especially if they suck. If your comments suck, we'll single you out directly and make fun of you. But this time out, we have two uh, movie suggestions and one from Cameron Sullivan. He suggests Starship from 1984. He says, a crazy sci-fi adventure oddity by Roger Christensen, who was the award-winning set designer and art director on Star Wars and Alien, uh, with music by one of the Genesis members. Okay. I've never heard of that film. I, I, I can't say I have either. Yeah, no. no, and I didn't have time to do research on it, but uh, I am going to look into it. So uh, thank you. Cameron. Always down for some for some cheesy 80s sci-fi, though. Yeah. And Jeff Williams comes in with his recommendation of the week. And this time out, it's Dementia from 1955. He says, a proto-Lynchian, dialogue-free, black-and-white thriller about a psychologically unstable young woman's late-night sojourn through the bowels of an unnamed city. Dementia was initially denied release by the New York Censor Board 11 times due to mildly violent and suggestive content. Wow, okay. It was ultimately sold, recut, and distributed as Daughter of Horror with an audio voiceover track added by Ed McMahon that needlessly over what was already obvious. 
Parts of the edited film are used in the iconic theater scene in the 1958 classic The Blob, where it played as a campy movie within the movie that teenage characters mocked and laughed at, ironically. However, the original silent cut of Dementia is actually quite unsettling, especially when paired up with an alternative modern music soundtrack. Awesome. That actually sounds pretty interesting. It does, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, yet again, thank you, Jeff Williams. So yeah, either of you guys have anything you've watched lately you want to talk about? Well, I've got a few things, nothing too exciting. So, well, I've rewatched basically the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, mainly because my wife, I got her into, I sort of showed her the important movies before we went to go see Endgame. She really liked it, so she wanted to fill in all the blanks. So we've basically caught up with all that. So now I'm, I've re-familiarized with myself with that. And I must say, I've actually appreciate those movies. Most of them, not all of them have held up that well. But uh, I do appreciate a lot of the movies a lot more than I did on their first viewing. Especially when I'm like, oh yeah, this character was in this movie. I forgot it. So hmm. definitely worth re-watching, but I won't talk more of that since there's a podcast for that apparently. Um, <laughs> we don't know anything about those movies. It's fine. Yeah. Well, then another Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, wait, it's not Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the Spider-Man movie, Into the Spider-Verse. I watched that. I enjoyed it. It was a good movie. I don't think I liked it as much as a lot of people did, but that could just be because everyone hyped it up for me by the time I saw it, and I I expected basically the finger of God to come down and have spider webs on it. Uh, (laughs) And the last movie I watched, which I actually really enjoyed more so just for what it was, uh, was the Deadwood movie. And for those of you who don't know, it's a cowboy series, came about 13 years ago, or I think edited about 13 years ago. Uh, quite an enjoyable series that I think has the world record for the amount of cocksuckers that were said throughout it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I felt the show never ended in a very satisfying way, so this movie gives it a little bit better of a satisfying conclusion. It still feels like an episode, you kind of wish there was another one after it, but at least it does give you a satisfying conclusion, and you're like, all right, well, this was... Maybe not worth waiting 13 years for, but it's good. I, I recommend it if you watch the series. If you've never seen the series, no point in watching it. Well, I should finally start watching the series, as Daniel keeps pressuring me to do, and then now I can watch this. Now that it's concluded, now that there's a real conclusion to it, I should start watching it. Yeah, I haven't seen the film yet. I, I have seen the series, but I'm not one of those that have like sat down and watched the whole thing three times or whatever. But I think the series <laughs> is quite good. Although I wasn't really like yammering for an ending necessarily i was kind of you know the, the series is such just like an experience in and of itself i am curious how they how they kind of finish it off but it's also like it's been third you know let sleeping dogs lie so thing, you know so yeah. you know we'll see because i certainly never expected them to make a movie i was the same way but i was like oh a movie's coming out. i want to watch it. i'm like okay now i'm happy they made it and what you were telling me greg is that off the air that a lot of the actors now look a lot older of course because it's 13 years later but it's only set like five years later, and we were just kind of saying like, well, that kind of makes sense, because in the Old West, you kind of probably age that way anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the exact timeline, but yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be as long as it's been in real life. I think it's it's a lot more, a little bit of time has passed, but yeah, some of the actors, they, like, I didn't recognize them at first they aged so much, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the only thing I'll probably mention is uh, I did watch uh, Jessica Jones season three. So mm-hmm. that's the end of Marvel on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was better than the second season. The second season was distracting is probably the way I'd put it. I, I enjoyed it, but I, if some of the stuff on it felt a little forced to me. 
this sort of gets back to Jessica Jones detective. There's still personal issues and all that stuff. It's still got sort of a noirish bent to it, but it's much more about her being a detective and trying to prove herself. And, you know, the, the villain is more interesting. Uh, he's just, he's not a super powered guy or anything like that. He's just a plain intelligent psychopath who's, trying to play mind games with her and, and fuck with her. And I, I really enjoyed it. Like the, the villains feel more on her level again. Uh, it, it, it's like Kilgrave where it's, it's more of a mental chess game kind of thing. Right. Although Kilgrave actually had mental powers or whatever, but still. And I, I liked it. I like at the end, there's a quick turn where you think it's going one way. And then it turns around and it goes, fuck you. Jessica Jones ain't going nowhere. And uh, that might be spoilers for some people, but I thought it was pretty good. Although I would, I will poo-poo on the uh, Luke Cage cameo because it felt like the most shoehorned in forced bullshit <laughs> I've seen on a Marvel show other than like Iron Fist. Uh, but there you go. But uh, it, it's worth watching. It's uh, Again, it, it suffers from, you probably didn't need 13 episodes for this. Probably could have done it in eight, but... I enjoyed it, so uh, none of it really dragged for me or anything like that, so it's worth checking out. Awesome. So, did you have anything, Daniel? No, I I, I actually spent time outdoors this week, so, you know, I, I did not actually watch any movies. Uh, it was unfortunate. I know I bring a certain uh, gravitas to this podcast by never leaving my house, um, <laughs> and I know that that's what people expect from me, but um, I did actually leave the house, and I do some traveling. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I know I disappoint the audience with that, but, uh, you know, it's a thing. Yeah, whatever. Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> so we are going to take a quick break. We're going to play some podcast promos, some music from the film, and we're going to be back with Stage Fright. Hey, this is Tom Six, director of the Human Centipede movies. I wish I was as good as David Cronenberg, but I'm fucking garbage. But at least I can drown my sorrows away by listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable! At twelve years old, you should not be watching this. Movie. Obviously, at thirteen, you should not be. Fourteen, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even seventeen-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. 
freaks and nature. Then you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I am your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. So join the insanity and please venture frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. And remember, here at the Cinema Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho Semanticast. Let us face, without panic, the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth Podcast. This podcast takes no shortcut in producing outstanding content. How they haven't become more widely recognized is beyond me. I love this show. Smart commentary, in-depth interviews, and great production. It's obvious how serious these guys take their podcast and bring that next level of professionalism that anyone would be hard-pressed to match. The Projection Booth Podcast, with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com.
All right, Stage Fright from 1987. A.K.A. Deliria, A.K.A. Stage Fright Aquarius, or just Aquarius, and even known as Bloody Bird in some markets. Um, directed by uh, Michele Suave. Um, I think I'm actually pronouncing that correctly. He, he's one of the most difficult names to pronounce in Italian cinema, apparently. Everybody pretty much gets them wrong. So even if I got them wrong, at least I tried. Written I'm by just Rico Suave. It's fine. Rico Suave. <laughs> Written by George Eastman, who uh, is a well-regarded uh, writer, actor, director of everything from the greatest stuff in the genre to schlock and shit. And uh, Sheila Goldberg is starring Barbara Kupisti as Alicia, David Brandon as Peter, Mary Sellers as Laurel, Robert Giligorov as Danny, Joanne Smith as Sybil, Giovanni Lombardo as Radis. G- no, Giovanni Labardo Radis as Brett. Uh, Martin Phillips as Mark. Perry Ovida as Ferrari. <laughs> I love that name. Ferrari. Yeah. Like, they, they think that's like an American, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's <laughs> great because it's supposed to be set in America and it's just, it's so stupid. Um, Lordana Perella as Corrine. Ukri Schwick as Betty. Mickey Knox is old cop, Michele Suave himself as young cop, and Clayne Parker as Irvin Wallace. And we have a little synopsis here from Jean-Marc Rocher again uh, from IMDb. 
A troupe of struggling stage actors is rehearsing for a small-town production of a play. Everything seems to be as it should until one of the cast members turns up dead. In a panic, the others try to get out, only to find that they are now locked in the theater with the killer. Which one of them committed the murder, and who will get out alive? Okay, that's not quite the case. Yeah, there's no real mystery about who's killing people. Yeah, Yeah. the movie pretty much tells you right from the bat who the killer is. There's no whodunit, which, as we get into it, I will point out, I think that's kind of a little bit of a failing of the film, but... Greg, when's the first time you watched this, and what are your sort of general thoughts on it? I watched this movie... I'm going to say somewhere in the range of four or five years ago for the first time. It was one of those, hey, what 80s slasher movies have I not seen? So, of course, I hit the old Googles and looked for some list. And this, along with some other ones, was on there. So I decided to watch it. And I must say, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I'm like, this is, I kind of expect, a lot of these movies I've missed, I watched them like, yeah, there's a reason why I missed them. But this was a very pleasant surprise. It was I thought it was. I thought it was a well done movie. It was surprised. I, I was surprised by the gore. I, I don't know why, but I, I kind of thought it was surprisingly gory. Like I guess even compared to Friday Thirteenth movies, they often kind of cut away when they're going to kill him, and this one they seemed to show it a little bit more. And it was quite brutal too. It almost had that. You know how whenever they have to remake a movie like Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween, they have to make the killer more brutal. Pardon the motorcycle. They have to make the killer more brutal, and they have to make him bigger and tougher and just rip everyone apart. I almost felt like I got that vibe, not to that extent. I got that vibe from this killer. And I'm just like, huh, oh, this almost was like a not like ahead of its time in its brutality. It, yeah. That was just my initial impression. But, uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I thought the concept was very unique actually. Right on. Daniel, I assume this is the first time watch for you. First time watch. I watched it this evening. I enjoyed the film. Don't know that I'm going to revisit it uh, anytime soon. I like the, the premise I think it uh, really doesn't, like, once it gets past the, the basic idea, it doesn't really do a whole lot with it. I do like the, the setting. I do like the idea of, like, uh, you know, kind of the first third of the film is kind of like, uh, you know, we get to see behind the scenes of a, of a theater troupe and that sort of thing. And that's that's just always fun stuff. And some of the, you know, like, you get to see people in weird costumes and, you know, uh, you know just, just behind the scenes stuff. It's always, it's always nice to kind of just see that world. Um, unfortunately, our characters are not very well defined, except for our um, asshole theater director guy, <laughs> who really should be in the film more. You know, once he dies, I think there's a lot. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of air that kind of lets out lets out of this film. You know, I was surprised he didn't uh, last a little bit longer. Uh, then you get kind of a middle section, which is uh, kind of people being chased by the killer, and you know, kind of kind of various deaths. Uh, about four people die in about a seven minute period yeah. there, right around the hour mark. Um, and then you get a final third, which is kind of like the last, uh, basically the last girl being hunted down by the killer and, you know, kind of, kind of more, more straightforward thriller stuff. All three sections kind of work on their own there. They kind of creak together a little bit. I think Greg is right. I think there are some really impressive gore effects here. Some of it does seem like way over the top in terms of what you can expect a realistic human being to be able to do, <laughs> but that's kind of the genre. I think my favorite kill is actually the uh, drill bit through the door, through the gut. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, was probably the one that really like surprised me the most, and just kind of oh well, that's pretty impressive actually. No, that that's that's yeah, no, I buy that. But um, yeah, other than that, um, it it worked for me. It kind of did the job it was supposed to do. It's only ninety minutes long. Yeah, that's that's the film. I seen this years ago, but it was you know it's one of those things where it's much like Greg. I was you know playing catch up and like sort of ticking off a list of like what slashers haven't I seen yet and stuff like that. So I sort of 
breezed through it. I liked it. Didn't think too much about it. Rewatching it, I like it a lot more. Looking at it in a context of where it is in the genre and what year it was made, like 1987, this is both a mix of sort of uh, Italian giallo and a straight-up slasher film. Greg's right. It has much more brutality than, say, like a Friday the 13th film, which at this point they were just being chopped to hell. Uh, like the their gore was just getting slashed because it was bigger studios behind that stuff, and they were trying to release it to a, a larger audience, whereas this is a very small-budget production. Um, I think the budget for it was about a million dollars U.S. estimated. So, I mean, this is late for a traditional slasher, right? Like it, mm-hmm. normally, those are kind of more early '80s. So this is this is pretty late in the game. Yeah, this is this is both late for Giallo and late for just the slasher boom from North America. So when you make a movie of this quality, especially the fact that Suave, this is his first feature-length directorial uh, film. Mm-hmm. He's putting this all together, and it comes off as well as it does. I think it's quite the accomplishment, actually. It's, I think, remarkably original, at least in the setup and some of the visuals for what it is for the genre. Oh, parts uh, of the film are, are gorgeous. I mean, for mm-hmm. any film of any kind. I mean, some of the shots mm-hmm. in this are actually really, really effectively done. Yeah, uh, uh, at this point, uh, Suave was, before this, he was doing some, like, assistant directing on Dario Gento, Lumberto Bava things. Um, at this point, this was producer Joe Diamato was like, we're going to give you a film, kind of based on the fact that Suave did music videos for a couple movies previous. He uh, And and you can kind of see the flair for the music video in this. Oh, like, it's yeah, yeah. very... Very much 80s music video in a lot of places in this, especially with the music and everything combined with the visuals. And I like it a lot just for that, like the striking visuals. The killer is one of the more unique looking ones. He, he, he's not unique as a killer himself because he's intentionally made as a cipher, like a Michael Myers or something like that, where there's sure there's the backstory that, oh, he killed a bunch of people, but there's like no real motivation or anything like that there's there's no deep dive into his background or anything like that he's just a killer and he's got this big fucking owl head on and he's going around killing everybody and i think one of the shortcomings of the film is that they don't use that sort of 10 little indians who done it kind of thing they could have done that like they they could have they could have uh, did bit a bit more of a murder mystery kind of thing in this even made it more of a giallo but they went more for the just well-oiled slasher machine kind of thing product. You know, like they they were much more interested in just setting up a bunch of really interesting kills. And for that, it, it works really well. Um, I was really impressed with the setups for the kills. Yeah. And, I mean, like, it's clear that a bunch of the budget went into the, the prosthetic effects, into the kill effects. I and, mean, they're... Uh, yeah, know, like, they're... like a girl gets like ripped in half <laughs> at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And you know it's 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 an effective shot. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, really effective stuff going on in terms of the the gore effects and that sort of thing. Like that stuff works completely. Um, yeah, I mean, know, no disagreements there. This is a point where most Italian films looked really cheap, mm-hmm. shitty. And I mean, this was a cheap Italian film, but nothing on this looks shitty. Like everything on this looks good. The the gore effects are top notch. The, the theater director or whatever gets his arm chopped off and that looks fucking great. Like it, it just there, you, you can't see the fucking seams or whatever, right. In, in it. And like you're saying the, the girl gets ripped in half. <laughs> There's another girl who gets like chainsawed and, you know, in a kind of interesting way. And then 
you know, there's one girl who gets injured, and then later on you see like almost like a gangrenous like stuff on her on her on her shoulder, and you know that's yeah. Of, like, I mean, like, some, it's pretty it's pretty effective in the way that it it, it sells a, a certain a certain reality. I mean, it's this over the top reality, but there is a verisimilitude to the to the kills to the to the way that the violence is is used here. And I think this one uses suspense pretty well too. Like basically in the stocking scenes and stuff like that, where you were mentioning the the, the girl who gets uh, chainsawed in the shoulder, and then that leads to a scene where she flees to the uh, washrooms and the showers. Mm-hmm. And then our uh, final girl also flees there and she's in the shower right next to her when the killer comes in and finishes that girl off. And the suspense in that is pretty damn good. I'd say. Oh yeah, no, it was, it, it I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, almost impossible to do a shower scene and not make me think of psycho, mm-hmm. but it did, it did kind of, it did kind of favorably compare in a lot of ways to psycho in terms of, you know, using the, the uh, relative isolation, but the, but the, um, you're both exposed and isolated within that uh, within that shower curtain, where you know maybe I can be seen, maybe I can't. I, I I can't be seen, but I'm also only a you know a thin piece of fabric away from this guy who will murder me you know quickly. And so there is a vulnerability there. I, I you know I really liked that sequence. I mean that stuff really like worked 100 percent again. Yeah, I, I also really like the part where she's looking at uh, and I don't remember the names, but she's looking at the chick who's dying. And she's in the shower, and she's kind of looking at her, and the girl mm-hmm. who's about to die is looking at her, and they're and the one girl's just like, "Come on, just take this for the team. Don't tell them I'm there. <laughs> just, just take your stabbing, but just don't, just don't give away my position, please, 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 be here. Yeah, sure, it, and she was a good friend. Well, no, she wasn't a good friend. She was a piece of shit, but she was too weak to like properly call out help to her and alert the killer. That was the thing. <laughs> because yeah the characters are not super well drawn like they're just basically oh here's the uh the catty bitchy actress here's the flamboyantly gay actor you know that kind of thing so like there's the, the little interpersonal rivalries or whatever between the actresses and stuff like that and that's you know typical kind of thing and i th- i think you know i think suave knew what he was doing here though like it it's not it's not super important to like make this deep or anything like that. Like he's trying to make a streamlined slasher film and he's, you know, he's putting his visual flair into it or whatever, but, um, but he, he, he's, he's making sly nods too. Like he, he does make sly nods to the people who got him where he is and the stuff he likes. Uh, a lot of this stuff looks a lot like Tenebrae from Dario Argento, as far Mm -hmm. as like some of the kills go. Um, but then there's like nods to uh, John Carpenter with Halloween, where you have a psychopath escaping from an asylum in his in his uh, basically his scrubs or whatever, or not scrubs, but what what you wear when you're a patient in the uh, in the, in the, in the, in the yeah the white form yeah the white whatever you wear in a, in a mental hospital in the rain pouring rain just like in Halloween at night there where uh, Michael Myers escapes kind of the same idea there and you have the uh, bumbling cops trope where <laughs> and then, and this is something that's been used well and used very poorly a lot too like it, it's used very poorly in something like Last Toast on the Left where it's just like a really grating tonal shift to everything else in the film but I like it. Like all the nods are very sly. They're not like on the nose. It's not like a movie made today where it's, oh, you wear your influences on your sleeve and you go like, look how cute I am because I references Halloween in this scene or whatever. You know, right? 
I was actually kind of surprised they had the bumbling cop scene. And again, may, maybe it's more common just in movies I'm not aware of. But from what I understand with Last House on the Left, it was done because that movie was created at a point in time when they sort of had to have some sort of comic relief just to give audiences a break from the intensity. But by yeah. 1987, audiences were kind of pretty used to this kind of movie. So I don't think it would have been necessary. So I almost think they could have just cut that part out. But I don't know, maybe it's more of an Italian trope or something. Well, they could have cut it. But I, I think I think what it was was Suave was just sort of paying homage to that because that was like the films he was watching, right? But yeah. you're, you're, you're right, like, that was kind of used back in the day in the drive-in circuit to, like, calm the audience down a little bit. Like, it, it was used in uh, The Town of Dreaded Sundown. Actually, and actually, in The Town <laughs> oh, of Dreaded yeah, Sundown, that's, right. that's half the film, is, the, like, the bumbling cops, which is, you know, really a tonal shift. Mm. But, yeah, here... Yeah, here, I didn't here, mind the tonal right. shift of it. It was more just, or in this film, it was just more like the... It doesn't really go anywhere, you know? It just no, kinda, you, I mean, they kind of come in at the end, but it, it's it's a... Made me think of like a Argyle and Die Hard, you know. It's just like, you know? <laughs> well, it's like I, I kept expecting them to get killed at some point. Like the killer right, would yeah. like take a take a smoke break outside or something, and oh, here's the cops. I'll kill them too. Well, because... like at the at the hour mark, you know, when when you know half the cast dies in a few minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I forgot that there was still one girl who hadn't been killed. And I thought, like, oh, now the killer's going to get out and go like kill the cops and kill the and steal the cop car, and we're going to get. I thought we were going in a totally different direction with this movie, you know. <laughs> and then, like, oh no, there's there's one girl left alive, so we're now going to spend you know thirty minutes and you know kind of dealing with that. I mean, the the, the bit where they do kill like everybody at once was, was kind of like it, it's effective in the sense of it's kind of shocking because I was expecting it to, to to draw it out a lot more. But it is also like yeah, it's very clear. Yeah, no, we don't care about these characters; they're dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're all yeah. dead. Let's just kill them all. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it it's all just. It, it, it's very much it's all set up for interesting kills and that's right. kind of what it is right and it's and, it, and it's kind of a marker that the film is just kind of over peopled slightly you know and i think mm-hmm. that that's kind of one of the you know again kind of like like i understand like they had you know we've got six ideas for kills so we need six characters so that we can kill six people with it you know like that's kind of the way it works and it's fine for that um, but it is also just this kind of level of really this would work better instead of having like six main cast members. If it had four, I feel like we would spend more time with them and they could be a little bit more differentiated and you could yeah. just have a little bit more of a, a personality there and you wouldn't have to, it would just, it would, it would, it would let the thing breathe a little bit more. There is some, some kind of pacing stuff kind of going on where, you know, it kind of has a, you know, a slow mode and then like a super fast mode. And that's kind of the, the, the only thing it knows how to do. Um, I do think the last 30 minutes is probably the best stuff in the film um, in the sense uh-huh. that like, once you get down to like the final girl uh, and then it becomes a little bit more of a kind of straightforward cat and mouse thriller. Um, and I don't I, say that insultingly, you know, no, Sorry. although I, I got to ask both of you, do you, do either of you guys have any like uh, knowledge of uh, axe mechanics at all? Because sure. The killer uses the axe to chop off a guy's arm and then chop off his head. Or, well, no, he uses to chop off his head, but I don't think that's going to dull the blade of an axe that much where the final girl has to chop that rope for, like, 15 minutes straight. <laughs> yeah, I did. you know, cutting, cutting, through the, cutting through the spinal column and cutting through a rope should not be, you know, the spinal column is much, much more difficult <laughs> to cut through than I, a rope. I, 
I just thought that was poorly planned on her part. Like, if it was me, now, I, okay, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was a really strong wire or something, in which case it probably wouldn't have cut it all. So let's give her the benefit Maybe of the doubt. Maybe it's like a steel I, cable or something. I would have I just let him climb all the way to the top. Oh, hey, he chopped hey, him hey. in the head, right? Boom, yeah, hit him in yeah. the head right when he comes up. Like, why even bother cutting the cable? Yeah. But uh, well, I mean, there is also the thing of like this. This is you know, this guy literally ripped a woman up in half. You know, yeah. Like you don't want to, you don't want him to get close to you. This is not, you know, again, yeah. this is not like a, a you know, th- this is the kind of superhuman strength killer kind of kind of guy. Yeah, you know? he's full um, on. He's full on like Michael Myers by like part four of Halloween kind of thing. Like he's 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 you know he's a supernatural killer almost at this point kind of thing, right? right? Well, I mean, um, spoilers. He takes a bullet to the head. Yeah, but he he gets up from it though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I I think also like a a little bit of a little bit of a failing of this is like they overthink getting the killer to the location. I think like mm, yeah. the idea of the girls going out to we got to get her to a hospital to have her ankle looked at, and they go to a mental hospital, and that's how the killer gets in their in their station wagon, and they go back, and he shows up there. They could have went for the traditional. The killer just escapes from the mental hospital. And because the killer is a, a deranged actor, of course the first place he's going to go to is a theater. And, oh, the theater troupe just happens to be there, and he's going to start killing those people. You don't have to overthink that setup. Like, it's a very classic setup. And so it feels a little convoluted to me. But at the same time, you do get a really cool kill where uh, the girl goes back to the car to... I can't remember what she's looking for, but she goes back into like that kind of pouring rain where it like physically hurts you when it hits you, <laughs> when it hits your skin. Uh, she goes back to look for something and the killer shows up and puts a pickaxe right through her mouth. Like that's, <laughs> that's fucking good stuff. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely just the, the setup for the kill. And I, I agree. It's a little bit, you know, over plotted. I don't know. I, I, I feel like there is a sort of another version of this movie that really kind of, again, focuses a little bit more on the theater troupe and sort of the, the realities of kind of life in this world. I mean, just mm-hmm. because there is a sort of focus on, you know, like you have to stay here because like, ultimately, what are you going to do? Go back to your shitty old jobs, you know? And so the sort of like the, the desire to make art, but also the desire for, you know, kind of economic independence and that sort of thing, you know, sort of forces them into this situation. And I feel like there's a, there's another version in which sort of the madness of the theater director, you know, as like the kill count starts up and he's like, no, we must continue to, to yeah. rehearse. And, you know, I kind of expected to go in that direction. And it really just drops that completely. Um, after the first like thirty minutes or so, and that's right, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just kind of like I mean, again, it kind of it's got a lot of different moving parts that kind of creak together. Again, the film overall works, but it does it, it does kind of like you know. I wish it was just a little bit more, you know, coherent. I wish it was just a little bit more kind of thought through. If it's going to be this, if it, if it's going to have highs as high as it does, I want it to. I want it to be like the script wise. I want it to be thought together a little bit better. You know, so yeah. Uh, but what, what do you guys think of like the deus ex machina of it where the black maintenance man comes back in the morning and, and shoots him <laughs> and, and and then he he repeats the lines like several times like I shot him or, like whatever the fuck he says like he, he says it over and over again like it, it gets into Italians don't know how to translate American dialogue properly like kind of thing where it gets a little gets a little awkward well, it was also like that well the whole ending scene this is kind of i guess piggybacking off daniel a bit is that it really 
kind of shows how the movie probably wasn't very well plotted and they didn't really know what to do at the end. It's like, okay, well, the cops didn't count the amount of dead bodies. They didn't look for the killer. They didn't uh, quarantine or whatever the uh, crime scene. I guess the the black janitor was just coming back to work like nothing had happened. I guess he's going to like mop up the blood or something. And she just leaves the hospital. Hospital. Oh, my watch is there. Okay, I'll just go back. Oh, to this place. that's a really expensive watch. Yeah, this watch. It's really expensive. I can't. Well, she, I she, must. She, I must yeah, have this watch. Yeah, she she like, is a starving hey, actress. Like she has yeah. to pawn that off today. You know. Like, well, I, yeah, I, mean, I guess. Like, I guess that's the thing. Send, yeah. Can you send a cop there to get it for me? Like, I probably yeah. probably it would be traumatic to go back. Like, get a couple mm. cops to go look. For I mean, you get the feeling this is like three hours later or something. Like, oh, my watch. You know. Yeah, and it's and it's a. It's a crime scene with multiple bodies, and all of a sudden there's just no cops there. Like, yeah, no, no, it was yeah. definitely you know, maybe maybe this is a searing indictment of the Italian, uh, you know, police force. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's supposed to be set in America, so it's well, like, maybe it's a searing indictment of the American police force. Although, I guess you know, kind of the opposite way. You know, the cops maybe they were. Movies, you know. uh, they were, they were they were all beating up black people for a first. That's what I was about to say. How, how sad is it that we're both thinking the same thing? Yeah. On that, they, like... they, they, all the cops were really going after the uh, the the building guy, the the guy with the key, you know, because like, no, no, we got to see what what were you up to the whole time, ignoring the complete serial. Killer. And you know what? Like that's like that's an alternate ending I could see of this, like yeah. where the killer escapes and they this they lock up the black janitor who comes back in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I can see yeah, that happening. Yeah. That that would be the remake. That's actually probably what I'd do in the that, remake. That's what that's what Jordan Peele would do with this film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I like it a lot. I think it's it is like even though it's just better than you know sort of the standard stuff going on. I think it's a, a again considering the two genres it's kind of putting together here and how late in the game it's doing it. I think it is kind of a major accomplishment considering it's like a first time effort from Suave and everything like that. Yeah. So I think it's well worth uh, checking out. And uh, what are your I, guys sort of I, final I, thoughts? I really like just, uh, just one more, one more thing. I really like the, uh, the sequence where the, uh, the killer is like putting the bodies on stage and like decorating mm. them with feathers. Yeah. And then for some reason, the key is just stuck in the wood of the, of the stage and so the final girl, Alicia, she has to like kind of go underneath the stage, and there's there's both tension there, but there's also like when we say the film is is gorgeous, like this is pretty gorgeously shot, and also like much more sort of it's artistic without having its head up its ass sort of thing. Like yeah. it does kind of give you that sense of you know that there, there's a real like kind of auteur, there's real cinema kind of being made here, but it doesn't rub your nose in it at the same time. And uh, the, the uh. film does have. Um, several sequences that kind of have that that same general quality, but that one definitely kind of struck me as like, oh, this is this is this is deliberately, you know, this oh, yeah. this is a director at work, you know, like doing I mean, something interesting. This is the guy who'd make Cemetery Man, you know, like right, right, a few oh. years later. So I mean, but yeah, no, that scene's great too. It's like it's just you know the killer, <laughs> he murders all these people within like twenty minutes or something like that, and then he's just like. Yeah, put all their bodies on the stage, and now I'm just gonna sit here and like chill out, like relax a little bit, pet pet this kitty cat that's that's wandering around. Um, well, you you know what? It's one of those rare times you get to see because in every single slasher movie, there's a last girl, and almost always they defeat Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger, whoever happens to be. This guy thought he had killed everyone, and now you know what would happen 
you know, if Jason Voorhees just killed every kid in the camp, he'd just maybe build a campfire, sit down, maybe pet a raccoon or something. <laughs> yeah, he just he just put them around a campfire, and he'd like make s'mores, and he'd like give them little sticks, and they'd all have little s'mores like melting. And the yeah, that's the that's the that's what would happen. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, it it is good stuff though, and like the killer's just sitting there, he's petting the kitty cat, and then he hears a noise, and you get a close close up of of the mask, and you see his eyes go down. And it's just another great suspense shot. Like it's another one of the great little suspense sequences in this, yeah. which is very well done stuff. He doesn't even take off the mask to, uh, mm. to move the bodies around and stuff. And you think like that thing's probably heavy. You know, you got to take that thing off. <laughs> well, I mean that that's kind of one of the only character details of of this killer where they they make a mention that he is a deranged actor who killed a bunch of people. So there is a bit of a theatrical quality to all the murders he does and stuff. Like he decidedly goes over the top with his kills. And, and, and that just goes back to what Greg was saying, where like in a lot of horror remakes you see these days, they try to, you know, up what the original movies did. And then this movie feels like that in a certain way, because it, this movie is really brutal. Like it's, it's hinted that the, uh, the girlfriend with the, uh, the short blonde hair, she's pregnant. She's got morning yeah. sickness and stuff. Right. And she gets ripped in half <laughs> and then like, that's, that's nasty shit. And then the uh, guy who originally wears the owl mask, the actor, the uh, gay actor there, he gets, he doesn't get killed initially. He gets beaten up, tied up and has one of the owl masks put on and gets killed by his friends because they think he's the killer. Like, and, and, and he might like that guy must've been sitting there tied up knowing that that's the intention of the killer. And he, he knows it's coming. Like that's kind of brutal shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately it doesn't quite play on screen. I mean, it is kind of, you know, as, as good as the film is, it does, it does strike me that a, again, a modern remake would make a little bit more hay, would, would just kind of execute some of these ideas a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, because, yeah, that's obviously what's happening, but it doesn't, you know, we really don't get that that sense of dread or that sense of suspense that, that we kind of come from that sort of mistaken identity. And, um, you know, it also just kind of plays in the, the idea that, like, a, a again, a sort of a rewrite of this would probably give us a little bit more of a sense of, you know, oh, one of us has got to be the killer kind of thing. Which, right. you know... That's something that's easily overdone, and I'm not necessarily saying that would make a better film, but it would make a different film, and it would give us a sense of you know sort of the sort of the internal dynamics, um, you know, kind of playing differently. I don't know. It's just sort of one of those. It's a decision the film makes to just kind of not do that, and I kind of respect it for not giving us that version because I think that could also be just kind of easily cliched. You know, this, you know, I think mo- I think there's an interesting rewrite where you where you do something more like that. You know? Yeah, the, this movie is not concerned with complications. That's yeah. the thing. Like no, it, doesn't, no, right. it, it, it doesn't it doesn't want to get that complicated. It wants to get these characters in a enclosed space and kill them all. That's what it wants yeah. to do. So and it does that very well. Yeah. I, I sort of have the feeling that like if uh if they remade this movie they'd spend the first half hour digging into his childhood where his white trash family messed them up and then <laughs> then then the middle part would be him killing and then the ending would be oh it turns out there's two killers secretly one of the people is his long lost brother who visited him once in a mental hospital and they have a mental link or it would be something stupid like that uh, I, I I think I think the simplicity of this movie I mean yeah, okay, it's not going to win any awards or anything, but I think the simplicity of this movie kind of just works, like at least within the genre. Like I think they explain enough just to have the plot going. And I almost think if they explained less, if they cut out the whole hospital scene at the beginning, yep. I almost think you could just make this. It almost would be a giallo. I, mean, I don't know the giallo rules as, as uh, well as you do, but I know the big thing is you want the killer to be 
unknown. And if they yeah. kind of got rid of that, you'd be a lot closer to it. No, actually, you're right. Um, if you didn't explain this guy's background at all, and like it, it just came at the end where it kind of makes no sense because that's pretty much like 90% of Giallo uh, films where the killer at the end, it just kind of doesn't make sense. But the film's so goddamn good that you don't give a shit. They could have gotten away with that in this film, I think. But yeah, we've got nothing else. So like I said, budget was about $1 million estimated. I have no uh, box office for this. Um, it made $4 trillion Italian lira. <laughs> Maybe Ooh, it did, yeah. It's the good. same as like $300. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for uh, DVD options, Blue Underground released a 2007 DVD and a 2014 Blu-ray. And then there's also like the original Anchor Bay DVD that uh, Blue Underground sort of ported and added extras to. You don't want the Anchor Bay one because it has no extras at all. Um, so that's about it. Don't know what we're doing next week. I, I was actually thinking, Daniel, your lovely wife, Shana, wanted us to do uh, Baba Yaga at some point. I'm kind of thinking yeah. maybe that that may be something we should jump into. Uh, some more sure. like uh, Euro sexy horror stuff. We haven't done that in a while. So Enough that might that, be. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, Gregory, you actually do stuff now. So tell people what you do. I don't really do anything per se. I do have a channel called The Beer Burglar. I very occasionally put some videos on it. Actually, my favorite video I made is actually on the Well and Piss Up channel. I'm going to have to port that over so I can take credit for it. Um, actually, my wife can take credit because she edited it. It's quite good. Uh, but I don't really post a whole lot. But if you want to subscribe to my channel, it doesn't cost you anything. So maybe occasionally I'll put something up there that might be entertaining. Right on. We'll link it in the show notes. Daniel, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. I have a podcast called I Don't Speak German where I talk about uh, really terrible people who mostly want to genocide other many, many other people. Every one of them is worse than the worst person in this film. So, you know, that's, <laughs> those are the, those are the, huh. those are the people that I spend my time thinking and talking about. So yeah, go check that out. If you're, if you're so inclined and uh, follow me on Twitter. That's hmm. it. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. We can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. That way you can find out what's coming up next time and in all the details. And you can leave comments, suggestions for movies, all that good stuff. And we reply quite a bit. We, uh, we love the feedback, so uh, send the feedback. Yeah. Go find our reviews on YouTube and leave comments be- below them. Yeah, whether they are go- relevant or not, just leave comments <laughs> there. That's the <laughs> when we see them, we will read them. And if, mock if you them. Go- yeah, if you if you go on YouTube to leave the comments, make sure they're really stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that. I mean, you have to do that on YouTube. It, it's yeah. within it's within their like uh, contractual. Yeah, it's uh, in the guidelines. terms of service. If you mm-hmm. leave a if you leave a YouTube comment, you have to be completely asinine. Use the word hollow hoax or both. It's it's that's the way it works. Yeah, uh, accuse us of being clickbait <laughs> and complain that we're not actually showing you the movie, but just yeah. two nerdy guys talking about the movie. Complain that we're talking about a movie of tits in it, and we don't show you the actual movie of tits in it because yeah. you're too lazy to do it yourself. That's yeah, no, that's yeah, the, yeah. yeah. There's oh, no other way to find tits. On oh, the but there are there are there are mild tits in this movie, so there's your nudity report. And if you're like Paul, there's bloody tits, so you can enjoy that. Yeah, there's 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 definitely dead people that uh, are naked that Paul would be interested in, and there's naked people that are not quite dead at that time that everyone yeah. else would probably be interested in. Yeah, yeah. But hey, yeah. a nipple's a nipple. Depends. <laughs> I think it depends. There, there there's there's probably some nipples I wouldn't be interested in. Let's just put it that way. But uh, yeah, enough oh, nipple okay. talk. 
<laughs> uh, we're done. Uh, we're not sure quite what we're doing next week, but I'm kind of thinking we'll do Baba something Yaga. fun. It'll be yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thank you, Greg. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. You have been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.